it seems as though the world were darker than ever before. And still we hear the Spirit saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? These challenges didn't fall to the great leaders of yesteryear. They fall to us. God has and always will use broken people to accomplish the work of the kingdom, the greatest work that one can aspire to. Here at Trinity Bible College and Graduate School, we take the responsibility very seriously. We are committed to training and educating people with theological reflection and missional passion in order that people and communities everywhere will hear the good news of Jesus and see His love demonstrated. In a world that is changing more rapidly than ever, people need that which never changes. They need a different way forward, a better path. They need the King and the Kingdom. And we are going to give it to them. Good morning. It is great to be with you. Um, I, I sort of wonder if we've been, not we've, that I, think I may have been visited Crete, Nebraska years ago in a former life. I worked for a company that serviced point-of-sale systems for colleges and universities, and Doan College was definitely one of our clients. And I don't know if I've been here or just been on the phone with somebody who had trouble. One time or another. So it is great to be here. This is my wife, Dee Dee, and she will be at the back at the end of the service. So where is Trinity Bible College and North, North Trinity Bible College and Graduate School? We are located in Ellendale, North Dakota. It's in southeastern North Dakota, a tw- community of about 1,200, very peaceful. Um, the biggest amount of crime you have there is someone who speeds 26, 27 miles per hour over the 25 mile per hour and I was one of those once. Okay, so it's a really peaceful community. Uh, Our mission, very simply, is to educate and train men and women with theological reflection, Pentecostal theological reflection, and missional passion. Missional passion meaning that, that there is a purpose to who you are and what you do and what God has placed you in your heart to do in life, to reach people and communities everywhere with the good news of Jesus. Our vision, very simply, is to populate rural America with K-12 through teachers, coaches, um, business people, pastors, youth pastors, children's pastors. Um, that's our vision. And also missionaries that go around the world. A couple, dis- couple distinctives. If you've never heard of Trinity Bible College, number one, we're small. That means you won't get lost in the crowd. We're very small, about 140 stu- undergraduate students, and um, we uh, we're very. Mu- it's a community. If you talk to any one of our students, the thing that they appreciate the most about our college is we're family. You are family there. Um, a good number of those students eat food in my house. Um, that's just what happens. Um, we are a Bible college first and foremost. We are not a liberal arts university. We're a Bible college. That means that every student that's earning a four-year degree earns two degrees, a degree in biblical studies and then a degree in something else. So you have that foundation, and you wouldn't believe how important that is. Well, I know you believe how important it is because it's dear to you, your faith in Christ, but how important it is to the world to have a somebody who's graduated with a Bible degree. 
Um, it's just it's foundational to who they are. Um, also, we've got a couple of pretty unique programs, one of which is that every student goes on a, what we call a go trip. A go trip is a, mission, a short-term mission trip. You know, a lot of Bible colleges and universities, once in your four years, you have to go on a, buy, go on a mission trip. At Trinity, the week before spring break, everybody goes on a go trip. Everybody. It could be a regional one. I took a team up to Lakewood Park Bible Camp, and we applied varnish to the same piece of wood three times in preparation for a new, uh, new bunks that are going in a new facility there. But it might be over to Australia. It might be to Amsterdam. This year, some of our international trips are canceled, but that's some of the places. Didi and I, have there, and they're led by staff and faculty, and Didi and I have led a team to um, Columbia. So every student goes on a missions trip, a go trip, every spring. Every spring. Um, and um, we have another program called Pack Your Bags. Pack Your Bags is a first-year program for students who are really just trying to figure out what's going on in life. Our president was pretty grieved that so many students would go to Bible college because that was the thing to do and walk away with a degree but not have any real direction in their life. And so we established this program called Pack Your Bags. It's a spiritual discipleship, very missional, missions-focused, where student, and you don't have to be a missionary to be called into missions to go to it, be a part of it, but you will go on four missions trips. Different than the go trips, but you'll go on four missions trips. You'll visit an, a Native American Indian reservation. You'll do ministry in inner city, Chicago, Milwaukee. Do a, um, uh, a poverty simulation. Here you go. We'll give you 24 hours. Go find food. It's a real deal. And then we'll go overseas for six weeks to, to one of four different countries that we might be visiting that year and then 10 days in Israel. And those students walk away with just a sense of, I know what God has called me to be and do in life. And um, it's, it's worth it. It is worth it. It's a wonderful opportunity, wonderful program. We have a program called Accelerate 4 Plus 1, where students, it's intended to get students into the ministry, pastoral studies, uh, youth, children, worship, ministry, more quickly, owing less money, a lot of scholarships in that program. And they earn, because it's 4 Plus 1, they earn their master's degree. By the way, I was thumbing over your website trying to get on to the um, the, the digital bulletin, and I see that somebody became a doctor this spring. Congratulations. I, I did not know that. Congratulations, Dr. Brent Braunberger. All right. <laughs> That's great. Um, we, we have a graduate school. We did not have a graduate school when you were there. And we, if we had, maybe you would have gone through Trinity to get your graduate degree. We've got, um, this is all since the Alexanders came in 2012. 2012. We've got five uh, master's degrees, one of which, the only program like it in America, it's a master's of rural ministry. Our heart, our commitment is to rural ministry. That is our first and foremost goal. That was, it's, it's a niche that Trinity has. Uh, we have a Ph.D. program now, Dr. Bromberger. <laughs> and so, and then most recently, we completely revamped our online program called My Trinity Online so that our classes are now in eight-week sessions. So it's really easy to do, uh, maybe complete your bachelor's. Um, uh, it's a pathway to credentialing or maybe even uh, a graduate degree. Financially, I like to talk about this because Pastor Brent understands, because you served on the board for a time. 
that there have been a lot of highs and there have been some really deep lows at Trinity. Or I don't know, you probably were even on the board during the season when, are we going to be able to keep this place open? And I can tell you that this time next year, we'll be able to have a mortgage burning ceremony because our debt is paid, our endowments are growing, we're able to then give more scholarship dollars to students because our desire, the president's desire, is that students attend Bible college. You cannot send someone into rural America laden with tons of debt from college. You just can't, especially if they're going to be in the ministry. And so that is a commitment we have, and those are things we're working toward. Personally, I just simply need to say, we are mom and dad who love and feel called to, while our job might be to minister to alumni, to churches, and, to, and donors, our heart is first and foremost to, to young people, to minister to young people. We've got a student living in our house right now, and we do that quite a bit throughout the summer. And the point is that we want them to be men and women of God. And our young people, even in a Bible college, they're hungry for mentors, for examples. And I'll talk a little bit about that later. So, But the real story is our students. And so I would like you to watch. It's about a three-minute video. This is someone who's nearly related to me, but not. His name is Joe. I really Hello, have to push it, Chris. I am Joe Erlene. I am from Minot, North Dakota. I am a sophomore at Trinity, and I am in the business administration Go ahead program. and push that volume. Well, I came to Trinity last year to do the Pack Your Bags program for the main purpose of not spending the rest of my life at Walmart, and I do not regret that for a second. I was fortunate to travel to Thailand and Nepal. Originally signed up for the trip to Nepal because they mentioned the Himalaya Mountains, and I thought they were in Arkansas. Learned wrong later. Um, yeah, I got to travel with some really great people, and we got to meet some super incredible people while we were traveling. Um, one really fun story from while we were over there was... Uh, we trekked for a week in the Himalaya Mountains, and in Nepal, it is a closed country. So, being Christians really frowned upon. So, we're just randomly trekking through the Himalaya Mountains, and uh, between uh, lack of fitness and elevation sickness, we, uh, we had to find bathrooms. So, we're just trekking along the path, and uh, we stopped in a very random Himalayan village. We saw one along the side of the road, and our tour guide said, Yep, there's probably a bathroom there. So we go into the village, and we find a person sitting there, and uh, our guide starts a conversation with her. And we have no idea what they're saying. It's in Nepali. He's translating. And uh, she asks him if we're believers, if we're Christians. Big no-no to say that we are, but he believed that it was okay to say that we were whether that was divine appointment from God or just him using his judgment. It worked out for the best because a big smile came on that lady's face and she says to him in Nepali, that's amazing. We're all also believers in this village. So you guys are welcome to stay for as long as you want. We're going to fix you tea. And we're in the middle of nowhere. We have no idea where we are. We stopped by accident essentially and spent the afternoon in this village just, you know, worshiping and hanging out with these people. It was great. I'm in business admin because I really just think it's multi-use and that even though I don't feel like I'm supposed to end up overseas, 
I can open my own small business and use that to fund people who do want to go overseas and, you know, minister to the people here instead. I stink and love Trinity. Like, wouldn't trade it for the world. I could be going to school in my hometown for, you know, next to nothing and be at home. But the community down here, the people, the one-on-one -on -one with professors, just everything about it is amazing. And uh, wouldn't trade it for the world. Can you imagine a young man like that who was pretty near scared of his shadow when he first came to Trinity, who thought he was going to Arkansas? The Himalayas, he thought the Himalayas, you know the Himalayas, I'm not, a young lady, no, no, I'm looking at you, yeah, the Himalayas, you know they're not in Arkansas, right? <laughs> All right, we got a geography class. I'm sorry to embarrass you. You're listening so intently. Now I've lost you. Oh, it's all right. <laughs> oh, imagine that. And to be trekking along, and Joe, Joe struggled with asthma, and he was healed of that. He just carried the thing with him, a little nebulizer, whatever, with him. And to, to experience now believers in another country like that. And now, I don't know if you could hear, and I'm sorry, I took that video and the noise and everything. Was, but he was in business admin. He doesn't feel called into missions, but he feels called to send missionaries. That's cool. That's cool. Now, I've got a couple other pictures I'll have you put up there, Chris, of Joe. So that's Joe. Um, that's on his go trip to the Dream Center in L.A. this past year. And go to the next slide. There he's tutoring a young young gal about the same age, maybe a little bit older than the first picture, in math. Joe would tell you, I bar he barely passed math, right? But this this is what this is our students. This is what they're experiencing, in particular the pack your bags thing. So, how can you help us? I, di I do a terrible job typically of, of of talking about this. How can you help us? First off, learn about Trinity. I, we. I, I can't believe how many people still think, oh, where, where didn't, that, didn't that school close? Learn about Trinity. Stop by our table. Pick up some literature. Well, I'm not, I'm not talking about going to college. Well, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not interested in a graduate degree. But there are aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, moms and dads in here. There are young people. I don't care how old you are. If there's, there's somebody in your life you get familiar with, with what Trinity's all about and tell that story. Help us tell that story. Stay connected. Ah, we've got an alumnus over here that was uh, the, young, the young lady who shared the scripture this morning. Christy? Christy, you're an alumnus? Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. We, we, our kids did a little bit of that in that time when South Dakota's camps were going up to. Yep, all right. But stay connected. Pray. I'll tell you what. There is an all, all, all courts press right now and the federal government and our current administration to squash religious education and the freedom in a religious education. And our Bible colleges are, are, are pivoting, are trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? There's a couple pieces of legislation right now that's in, in the, the, I think it's past the House, it's uh, before the Senate, and it would make it, uh, illegal for Trinity to 
be able to, to say, no, I'm sorry, you don't believe the way we do. You believe this way about homosexuality. We say, no, this is what the Bible says. We cannot employ you. And the federal government would say, sorry, if you're going to do that, you can't have federal funds. And what that means is our students wouldn't be eligible for federal financial aid. So those are some of the things that are sitting before the Assemblies of God Bible Colleges and Universities right now. Send somebody, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that a little bit later. Send a student, partner. We always need financial partners. I'll tell you that it is the um, faithful monthly support of uh, financial partners that keep us going. And so we need that. We need that. And there's several ways to do that. Dee Dee can share some of that with you. You can go online. So thank you very much, Pastor Brent, for the privilege to be here and bring you the Word of God. This has been something that has been brewing in me. I've been talking about something a little bit different traditionally when I get in churches. But as of late, the Lord has just really birthed something deep in me that I feel that I'm supposed to declare today. So could we, before we get going, let's just pray. Let's just say, God, open our ears. Father, open our ears. I pray right now that you know that I can talk too much. Pastor Brent wasn't far off. I can talk too much. But I just want to say what you would have me say to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I entitled my message, Allegiance. Um, and allegiance is, uh, by definition, is the loyalty or commitment to an individual group or cause. We kind of understand a little bit about that in the realm of citizenship at Trinity Bible College because of the South Africa takeover that we've had at our college by our president, his wife, and two other couples. Uh, both our Dr. Paul and Dr. Carol are from South Africa. And many don't even realize that, and they're all American citizens now, so they have taken the classes, they have done the Pledge of Allegiance and, and pledged their allegiance to the United States of America. But not everybody realizes that Dr. Carroll, just even since they've been there in the, in the last, and since we've been there in the last five years, she became a U.S. citizen. So we understand this concept of allegiance. Well, there's a passage in Judges chapter 5 where Deborah the prophetess in Ju Judges 5, 9, where she declares her allegiance to an individual. And it reads, My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord, she says. She's declaring her allegiance that her heart is with a particular group of individuals. So what's the context of this? What's the context of this? The book of Judges is a transition from Joshua's leadership Joshua, you read in the first couple, ver couple chapters of, of Judges, uh, Joshua is handing the baton or letting the people go. They've conquered the land as much as they're going to conquer it, and he's letting the people go, and he's transitioning. He's going, he dies, and Judges is this book that transitions from, judge, from Joshua rather to Samuel and ultimately the kings of Israel. And it is also an example of some of the most dysfunctional failures found in Scripture. This is where we learn about Samson. We also have some great victories. Samson won and then Gideon, but then how Gideon finishes isn't very strong. So what we see all throughout Judges in, is this pattern in Israel's life that looks something like this. 
And in, in the interest of time, I'm just going just to kind of skim through this. But if you were to read Judges 2, 6 through 19, this is what you would see. It would go like this. Step one, forget or reject everything your parents taught you about serving God and actively seek to do evil. That's step one. Step two, you end up forcing God to lift his hand of blessing and then become enslaved to wicked neighboring nations. This is what Israel's doing. Step three, cry out to God and ask for his help. Step four, God has moved out of love for his people, has mercy, and he raises up and selects a leader, a judge. This is where Samuel, Samson, in our story today, Deborah. And then step five, through that selected judge and leader, Israel defeats their enemies. Step six, the land and God's peace have for, have the land and God's people have peace for forty years, a generation. Step seven repeats one repeat steps one through seven all over, all throughout the judges. That is what you see, this people forgetting what what God has done in their parents' lives, sinning, actually going after wickedness, going after the evil then become, falling into bondage, then crying out to God, God sending a deliverer. He delivers the people. The land has peace for 40 years, and then they repeat it all over again, over and over. The first five judges are summarized in chapter 3 and chapter 5, and I just want to give you a quick summary of them. First one is Othniel. Do you remember Joshua and Caleb? They were the two spies of the 12 that went into the land of, uh, to spy in the land of Canaan. And they were the two that came back and gave a favorable report and said, we can take the land. But the people all said, no, 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 no. They followed the bad report of the other 10 spies. Well, Othniel is Caleb's nephew. And in Judges chapter 1, verse 13, Caleb challenged his tribe that whoever, whoever would take the hill and capture the city, Kiriath Zephyr, would receive Caleb's daughter in marriage. Othniel stepped up to the plate and, and led, led the armies of Israel, and they captured Kiriath Zephyr, and, of course, he got the girl. And the land had peace for 40 years. And then we read about the judge Ehud. Of course, the land, again, people forgot, and they were in steps one, two, and three again. Ehud was a left-handed warrior and I didn't research exactly, but somehow or another, he's able to hide a sword. I didn't expect him to have a dagger right here hidden under his garment and his, on his right side. At any rate, he, he went in and, had a, and, and, and uh, tricked the, the king, Eglon, and ended up driving a dagger into his, into his belly and killed him. And then took the armies of Israel, defeated their enemies. Then there was Shamgar. He killed 600 Philistines, another judge, with an ox goad. An ox goad is an 8 to 10 foot long pole with a sharp point on it and a, maybe a hook on the other end or a hook somewhere just to move the oxen along, to keep it in line. And with, with, that, with that tool, with that farmer's tool, he defeated and killed 600 Philistines. And the land had peace for 80 years at that point. But after Ehud and Shamgar died, Israel forgot and did evil in the eyes of God 
and they were enslaved for 20 years and cried out to God. Steps one and two and three. Come along, Deborah. Deborah was a prophetess. She was a judge. She was a wife. Scripture tells us she was a mother. And she came to Barak and she said, Barak, God has appointed you to go and defeat the enemies. Go ahead and gather the 10,000 from that tribe in the south and take them with you. And he said, well, I'll go. Mm, I don't know that I want to go. Okay, but I'll go. But only if you come with me. And she says, okay, I'll go. But just want you to know, a dude's not going to get the honor for this one. A woman's going to be the one who is the does the critical deal to, to kill whomever and, get, and, and uh, help Israel get the victory. And sure enough, that's what happens. Deborah and Barak lead the Israels to destroy the Canaanites. They're, they're, they're killing the Canaanites, destroying the enemy. And the commander of the Canaanites escapes and, on foot. And he runs into the tent of a wo- that belongs to a woman by the name of Jael. J-A-E-L. And while he sleeps, she kills him by driving a tent peg into his head. And a woman gets the glory. She did the valiant act. And then we come into the area of our text, chapter 5. And we, and we have Deborah and Barak singing, a, singing this song. And in verse 1 and 2, they're, they're telling of the exploits. They're, they're setting us up as she's going to describe the rest of what happened. She's giving praise to God for volunteers, the princes who, to engage, who engaged the enemy. And then verses 3 and 4, she describes what it was like when God's army descended. Because what happened is that the Canaanites were in chariots. And God poured down rain in this valley that they were in, and they got stuck and bogged down, and the Israel slew them. And then, of course, that's when the commander, Sisera was his name, escaped on foot and later found his demise in Jael's tent. But, they used, but Deborah uses language like, the earth shook, the heavens poured down water, mountains quaked. And then Deborah describes what the conditions were like under the bondage of the Canaanites. And I just want to draw your attention to some of this this stuff right here. So if you'd go with me to chapter 5, and Chris is going to do his best to keep up. I told him I may read some, some scripture in the interest of time. I might not. But it says here in the days, I'm reading from Judges chapter 5, verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, the days of Jael, remember that was the woman who killed the commander of the Canaanites. The roads were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Winding paths, meaning that there was no commerce. There was no recreation travel. If they traveled at all, they did the hidden paths so they wouldn't be pursued by the Canaanites. There was no just willy-nilly running to Walmart. Times were tough. Village life in Israel ceased, ceased until I, Deborah, arose, arose, a mother in Israel, when they chose new gods, new leaders from their own people. War came to the city gates. But when war came to the city gates, Scripture says, no one fought. It says, not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. Times were tough. People were in hiding. Remember in, 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 in Judges when we read about uh, Gideon and he talks about, he's, he's actually um, 
doing the stuff with the wheat, but in another place that he wouldn't be found because Midian was, was so oppressive upon them. And then we come into verses 9 through 15. And this is where Deborah describes the exploits of the princes and the volunteers. And this is where our text is found. She says, my heart is with Israel's princes and the willing volunteers among the people. And she goes on to describe how they, how they fought in battle, the valiant things they did. And how her heart, her, her allegiance is to those. But then in 15 verses, verses 15 to 18... And Chris, if you're able to pull up some of those verses. It starts out by saying the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was Barak rushing after him in the valley. And it's almost like there's a but there. But, verse, middle of verse 15, in the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the campfires? Some scriptures says saddlebags or by your sheep. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher, he remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their lives. So did Naphtali in the heights of the field. But the other y'all, there was four tribes that didn't even come to the battlefield. Verses 19 through 30 continues on, describes how the battle went, the losses the Canaanites and the victories uh, for the Israelites. And then in verse 31 of chapter 5, it reads, And the land had peace for 40 years. And Judges chapter 6, verse 1 reads, Again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. So how does this apply to you and me today? Deborah's declaration in our text this morning. My heart is with Israel's princes and the willing volunteers among the people. I want to ask you, who were the princes? Not princess, princes. Some some, uh, versions will read governors, leaders. Who were those princes? The willing volunteers, Deborah says. Who were they? I want to ask you to consider that they were young warriors, young leaders, those who wanted to make a change, who saw that something needed to be done. They were like the Othniel in Judges 1, verse 13, that took the hill, that accepted the challenge from Caleb because he said, if you, get, if you take the hill, you take the town, you get the girl. And he did all of that. I want to tell you and remind you that, at least in the world that Didi and I live in, we're surrounded by young warriors, men and women, who see that a change is necessary. They're willing volunteers. They recognize that something needs to be done. Our young people are not ignorant of the world we live in. Oh, they might be a little bit misguided, like we probably were. But they recognize that something needs to be done. 
but they need a Deborah or a Caleb to put the challenge out there that says, you can do this. And then demonstrate the loyalty and commitment to lead. A willingness, our willingness to walk alongside them and even follow them as they engage the enemy for the soul of America and those that are lost. As I read this, as I read this text, what I see and what Deborah had to say was like, was my heart and allegiance is with those that are willing to do something and I want to challenge them to do something. So what then is our responsibility, yours and mine, as parents, grandparents, the saints, to the generation of princes, the will, to this, willing, this group of willing volunteers? Here is our responsibility, and I believe this with all my heart, and this is, this is something that Didi and I just, we, this is why we are at Trinity. We need to compel those young princes, those that are willing to go, compel them to be involved in the mission of Jesus Christ. We need to invite them. Invite them to participate in ministry. Invite them to serve. Invite them to go with us to, to do service somewhere, to minister to some place. Invite them to be on your worship team. Invite them to do ministry. We need, they need to be, they're waiting to be invited. Well, I wasn't raised that way. I, you know, I was just, you just see something to do and it needs to be done and you just do it. Well, let me tell you, that's not necessarily how they're raised today. And there are young people around who would do it if they would be asked. In order to compel them to be involved in the mission of Christ, we have to invite them. Moms, dads, grandmas, and grandpas, we have to invite them. We need to mentor them. More better, live with them. Do life with them. Show them. Make them accountable. Cause them to desire. I mean, if you want your kids to love marriage, show them that marriage is a good thing. If you want them to love Jesus and live for Jesus, do they see that that living for Jesus is attractive to them or is all it is is a burden? I'm not saying it's all roses. No. But do they see the joy and the peace? Do they see that this is the only way to live? Cause them to desire what you have and experience in your business and in your marriage. Do you know the number one desire of our students is mentorship? The number one. That's what they want. They're hungry. Even in a Bible college, students that come from great homes, students that come from bad homes, they want to know, how do I make sure that I don't become part of that 50% who regret, regretfully have experienced divorce? How do I make sure that I don't make a bad decision that it ruins things for Because many of them are already there trying to overcome the effects of decisions that they've made as youth. Mentor them. 
Invite them, mentor them, send them. And I tell you this unapologetically. As the guy who is partly responsible for raising funds for the college, send them. I would rather have you give somebody $10, $25 a month and send somebody to Bible college. Because you do the math, that's actually better for Trinity anyways, okay? That aside, but I, because if you come up to somebody, when I was a kid and, I, and, I, and in Sunday school, there were the gray-haired ladies that were my Sunday school teacher, Brent. And they taught me doctrine, and they told me to sit down and shut up when it was time to sit down and shut up. But they would say things like, I see Jesus in you. What are you going to do with that, Brian? What are you going to do with that? Have you considered Bible college? Have you considered? I might not be able to do much, but I could maybe I could maybe help you $25 a month. Whoa, that's a lot of money to a teenager. What does that do to that, that student? That says somebody believes in me. That's the sending. We need to pray for them. I want to back up, but this is important. In the sending, Deborah's heart and allegiance said to them, I am with you. We need to pray for them. The prayer of a righteous grandma availeth much. I'm sure some of you have had a righteous grandma. Bless them. Text them. Send them cards. Send them $20 bills because you can. And not just your kin, but other people's kids. Bless them. Invite them, mentor them, send them, pray for them, bless them. And then I'm going to land the plane here. America is moving to rural America. The, the, the statistics tell us that people are moving from the big cities to the sub- suburbs. The people in the suburbs are moving to the bedroom communities and the people in the bedroom communities are moving to the Crete, Nebraska's and the eventually they're going to move to Ellendale whether they like it or not. We hope they do. Property values will go up a little bit. <laughs> Who's going to be the teachers to rural America? Who's going to be the, new, the coaches? Spirit-filled coaches. Who's going to be the business people in the banks? And you would expect a guy from Trinity to say this. That's a pretty good deal for rural America because, Pastor Brent, if you've got someone who works in the bank and also has a good biblical foundation, what can you do with that here? you got someone who can teach, preach, lead your youth group. So I want to ask you, In, Deborah, in, in, in Judges chapter 5, we didn't read about them, but there were five tribes that came to the battle, and there were four tribes that did not. And Judges doesn't talk about what the other three or four that were, just doesn't mention them, but there were tribes of Benjamin, Ephraim, Issachar, Naphtali, and Zebulun. They were all, they all came to fight. They all responded. When Deborah said, I'm with, my heart is with the princes and those, the willing volunteers, that's who she was saying. She's saying, that's the group of people that I, my heart's with them. My allegiance is with them. I am committed to them. So my question to you is, who are the princes 
of Benjamin, Ephraim, Issachar, Naphtali, and Zebulun in your lives. Some of them are right here in your church. Some of them are in your family. Some of you are going to basketball games during the school year, and you're watching the women's basketball, the men's basketball team play, and there, somebody is right out there on the ball court, and the Holy Spirit is revealing to you, man, if that person would get just on fire for God. Those are the princes, the willing volunteers. They just don't know it yet. Romans 10, verses 14 to 15 reads, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How and how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And here's my conclusion then. Will you be the Deborah, the Barak, the Caleb? Will you compel? Will you compel? I'll tell you what America needs. I'm t there is this, this generation. I know we sometimes look at them and we say they just don't understand. You know what? They don't understand. But there's something inside of them that says, I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. But they need to be compelled to consider the mission of Christ. Would you be someone like Deborah to, who will compel them to leave the comfort of their flocks, the things that they know, to leave their current vocational plans? Well, I was planning to do, you know, be an engineer. Or I was planning on pursuing this or that, but I don't know for sure. Get them to Trinity's Pack Your Bags program for a year where they really learn to hear from God. And then they'll know. And I hope you're, you're, probably, I hope you're here and this is not a, 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 a compelling argument to send your, people, your, your kids to Trinity. That is not what this is about. As a mom and dad who... Kids are married in the last three years, hitting their three-year anniversary, no grandkids yet. I'm scared to death. Because the next teachers, the next coaches, the next pastors, who's going to be the next? Who's going to replace you, Pastor Brent, in rural America? If we don't take care of rural America, big city's not going to do it. Big city churches aren't going to do it. Will you be the Deborah, the Barak, the Caleb, who compels princes to leave the comfort of their flocks, to leave their current vocational plans, to leave the comfort of their fireplaces, saddlebags, watching the sheep, their video games and their homes, and engage in the battle for the soul of their country and the soul of the lost? I pray that, you know, why? Recently, we, we sat under, last week we were under the ministry of Dwight and Nadine Sandoz. And they talked about, Nadine talked about this community in northwest, northwest North Dakota, Crosby. 
General Superintendent of the Assemblies of God, G. Raymond Carlson, came from there. President of North Central University. Several others, ironically enough, who were defunct. The young man who was traveling with us that weekend, his family was from there. Mark Anderson, Kevin Anderson, his parents. Why is it that some churches just have this thing about sending? I pray that that's what we're all about. Would you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, I'm standing here feeling like I wasn't as eloquent as I pictured it in my mind, but your word is far more powerful. The power of your Holy Spirit speaking your word to our hearts is far more powerful than any words I would say. God, I pray that I would be, that we would be as the church, the Deborah, the Barak, the Caleb, that compels the next generation of princes, willing volunteers, compels them to, to be a part of the mission of Christ, of reaching this world. To leave that which is comfortable and say yes to Jesus. And if there's somebody here today that, would, that knows in their heart, they would acknowledge, they would say, you know what? He's not just speaking to me, being a compeller. I've been sitting on the fence. I've been sitting on the fence and I need to get off the fence and actively share, demonstrate the love of Jesus to those around me. If that's you, I pray that you would make that commitment today. Jesus, you love this world. Your Father loved this world so much so that He's not okay with even one person being passed by. The price of your Son's blood was too great. May we be about your mission, Lord. May we be about Deborah's heart, have the heart of Deborah, have an allegiance, a commitment to the next generation. bow your heads uh, he gave just a challenge there maybe you need to rededicate your life tonight or just your commitment to God maybe you've never made that decision to follow Christ to know him as your Lord and your Savior um, and so I'm just going to lead us in a prayer if that is in your heart would you pray along with me and just as a group may we pray uh, just pray together and Invite Christ into our life. Amen. Let's say that together. Father, this morning, forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. And help me to walk each day with you. And Father, the, I don't know who all is here this morning that just needs, um, that is just 
sensing something in their heart this morning as far as maybe the next step in their own life, Lord God. And I pray that whether it's a young person, uh, whether it's somebody, an adult, uh, that is just trying to figure out next steps in their life, Lord God, and maybe Trinity is a part of that or, or some kind of further education, Father, that you would just be speaking to their heart and their life. Um, these are divine moments, Lord, where you speak to us. And so, God, we just invite your presence here uh, for you to lead by your Holy Spirit. That is one of the ways that the Holy Spirit directs us. It's not just a black and white plan that is for everybody. God, you direct and call people by your spirit. You anoint us to serve and to be led by you, Father. Um, and so, Father, we just invite your presence to be here to speak to our hearts. May our hearts be open to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. They're going to lead us in a closing song. And, um, Paul, maybe you can kind of grab the ushers. If, if you'd like to, uh, to give towards uh, Trinity, if God's speaking to your heart, you can give online as well. Just put in there Trinity in the memo. We'll look at that and get that to them. Um, but would you stand? Um, I went to Trinity back in 1986. Can you believe that? 1986. Um, went there because my mom was pretty intense. She goes, I want you to go to your Bible college. Uh, that's where she had went. She did a couple years there and then one at North Central. Um, never did finish with a degree. Um, but she just said, you know, um, go there. Um, my dad was in construction. And so uh, since age 12, I had been doing construction. I think everybody kind of expected me to follow in that trade. Um, but when I was there, I had no inkling towards ministry, nothing like that. It didn't even really cross my mind. Um, but there I was in an environment where I could hear the voice of God. And, uh, and over the years, then that God began to navigate that. Did some ministry, helped out with the youth group. That's kind of where I met with my wife. She's a couple years younger than me. Her dad taught there, so. But that's where I could hear God's voice and his call. So if I had went someplace else, I probably would not have been in an environment where I could hurt God. So, amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you for this time to worship you. We give you our lives, Father, and you've called us to uh, be led by your spirit we can be your witness we can be the person that you've called us to be for some people it's ministry full-time ministry for some it's uh, being a banker it's being a coach it's being a lawyer it's being a business person that reflects your values and supports the mission lord and uh, so father we just pray that we can live our lives with open hands and open hearts to honor you and worship you we give you the thanks um just worship the lord together and they're going to take up an offering. If you want to, if you feel led, give that way. Amen. Praise God. Father, go with your people this morning. May your blessing go with us. And as we go into the marketplace, Lord, let your spirit go with us. Let your presence go with us. We give you the thanks. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen.